0: Amen. You may be seated. Please turn in your Bible to Jonah. Jonah chapter 1. And while you're turning there, let me pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as your holy scriptures are read and your word is preached, we may hear with joy what you say to us this night. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me read God's word to us this night, Um, Jonah chapter 1. And uh, just to give us, uh, like I did this morning, to give us a little context, I will read verses 1 through 6. But the sermon text is 3 through 6. Here now as I read God's word. What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought to us, will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Amen. God's Word. Well, I'd like to begin by asking a question, and I already know the answer. How many of you like to travel? Yeah, I know. Somebody's going to Germany pretty soon. How many of you like to take road trips? Well, you can ask my mom. As a young boy, I really couldn't stand uh, those road trips. Not knowing where I was going made me nauseous. It made me car sick. And you can ask my mom. They cleaned up the car a lot when we went on road trips. Or if you are more fortunate, maybe you've had the privilege to travel to Hawaii or overseas. Anyways, have you ever had this happen on your road trip? You get in the car, you put the address in your into your GPS, and you think that uh, you follow the route that it has laid out for you, but as you drive you get the feeling that you are driving farther and farther away from your destination or you're making a huge detour. Some of you at this point probably say, forget the GPS. And you just start driving the way you think you should go. Only to get more and more lost in the woods. I know when this happens to me, and it has happened to me more than once. I begin to get nervous. My wife gets frustrated. Sometimes you just want to give up. Yeah, just plan this fun road trip to a fun destination. But you just want to change your plans on the spot. You know, it's kind of like sin. Sin. The farther away we stray from God's word because we think that we know better or because we're frustrated at our inability or unwillingness to follow, the more lost we become. And the farther and farther away from our destination we go. And it's easy just to want to give up, throw in the towel. It's easy just to want to give in to that temptation to sin, isn't it? Well, Jonah was on a ship. He wasn't on a vacation for sure. He was running away from God. He was fearful that the people whom he hated, because they were God-haters, enemies of God and his people, he was afraid that they just might get saved and be included alongside him and be included in God's people. Rather than guarding his heart, as Solomon said in Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flowed the springs of life, he had let sinful thoughts enter in. And once that happened, and he got on the road, or rather the sea route, leading in the wrong direction, it was easier for him to continue on that wrong path. And he got farther away from, remember as St. Clair Ferguson said, the felt presence of God. And he got farther away from God's word. Before the prophet... Jonah was known for, did you know that before the prophet Jonah was known for obedience to God's word, and he was characterized as a man of godly character, as he loved to be in God's presence among God's people, being transformed by the renewing of his mind. But now he is lost, and he began drifting away in a boat. Backsliding from God and His will. Now, let me tell you if you don't hold fast to God's word and cherish it in your heart, then you too will drift away from God and His word. If you let arrogant, self centered thoughts creep in and you begin to believe them, then you will begin to fall away. In these verses, We will look now at the folly of disobedience and its effects, that drifting and falling away. And we will look at how this affects us and how it affects those around us. So first, what happens is we try to run and hide from God. We try to run from his presence and we try to drown out his voice. As I pointed out last week, Jonah did whatever he could just to try to get away from God and from the word of God. And in verse 3, it is very clear. Jonah arose to flee, to flee from the presence of God, of the Lord. And from the presence of the Lord is mentioned twice. Being a prophet of God, he knew that he could not actually get away from the omnipresent God. The psalmist was clear in Psalm 139 that wherever he tried to run, the Lord would always be there. God gave him a mission to preach to the Ninevites. But Jonah is on his own, he was on his own mission to get as far away from God's presence as he could. He wanted to get far enough away that he could not even hear God's voice. Your own mission is according to your own desires. And in the flesh, your own desire is to be as far away from God as you possibly can. But that's what happens with sin. And it happened with our first parents, Adam and Eve too. After they ate the forbidden fruit, the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, even though they were forbidden to do so. the Genesis says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Genesis 3, verse 8. In their shame, they thought they could just hide themselves from the Creator. And you know, that's our first response, isn't it? When we give in to a temptation, we try to lock ourselves in our room or run away from God, and we let that sin slowly make Further inroads in our soul. It's so easy. Because if we don't hold on to God's word, then we, need, we will latch on, we will hold on to something else. So Jonah was presented by the crafty enemy as an easy path of disobedience and rebellion against God he went down to Jobah and found a ship going to Tarshish and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. If you read this carefully, it seems like the boat was just right, right there, ready, waiting there for him to just hop in. And you, if you read it, you think, man, this was a piece of cake, wasn't it? well, I remember a long time ago in my children's school in Indiana, they acted out a play, and the play was about either taking the Bible way or the easy way. What Jonah could have thought in his rebellion and ignorance at this point was God's, that this was God's provision for an escape. And this was actually put there by God, And you know, that does happen when you are determined not to obey the Lord. And the alternatives always look so easy. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 wide is the path that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Jonah now has paid the fee. He has gotten into the ship, and the ship has already set sail, and now. Jonah is thinking, I'm scot-free. You know, throughout history, there are stories upon stories of godly men and women who decide to try to take the easy way out. If you read the books of the judges and the kings, you see that that's what was happening. Even good kings fell. Look at David. David the one whom the Bible says was a man after God's own heart. When he didn't obey and do his job and rather stayed home instead of lead the Israelites out into war, he caught a glimpse of the beautiful woman from the corner of his window. And not only did he just mistakenly look at her, he began having unclean thoughts about her Then what? He goes over to her house and he commits adultery with her. He gave in to his own sin. And that happened when he was away from God's word. But there was one man, one prophet, priest, and king who committed himself unwaveringly to the Father's will. He never even thought to flee from the presence of the Father. It's the man, our Lord Jesus Christ. His only desire was this. His, only, his heart was wrapped up in doing the will of him who sent him to finish his work. His one desire was not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John chapter 6, verse 38. That's what he devoted his life to. And he obeyed, like we said last time, even to the point of the vile death of the cross. And he did this for you and for me and for all of those who call on Jesus' name alone. Jesus looked to the God of To to God, he sent him to earth on a mission with a purpose. But in our wandering hearts, we begin to look at our circumstances. We begin to look at our surroundings for guidance rather than looking to the God who called us. Jonah was presented with a boat to flee as far as he could from God. And he capitalized on that. And what happens as he begins this flight from the presence of the Lord? Verse 4 says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the next part of our progression, we find out that we cannot flee from God successfully. No matter how far off track we have gone, No matter how far away from our heavenly GPS, God will find us and he will get our attention. God did not let Jonah get too far. From the text, we are unsure how far he would have gotten before God caused the mighty storm. But it is this very next verse, so he probably had not gotten that far away shortly after they all got settled in and they set off, the wind begins to howl and the waves begin to break. The rain is probably falling as if water was being dropped down from buckets in the sky. And the author uses a literary device here called personification to tell us how the ship felt. Even the ship could not take the intensity of the storm. What I hope we get here, what I hope that you see here is that God is in ultimate control. The Lord sent this great wind and brought this storm. It did not just happen by chance. But why? Why did God send this horrendous storm to just the place of the Mediterranean Sea that Jonah's ship was. Well, yes, God is exercising his judgment here for his disobedience and rebellion, but you should also see something of God's mercy here as well. God in his mercy sent the storm to get Jonah's attention. You see, no matter how hard God's people try to flee from God and his will, no matter how, what method you try to use or how far you try to go, you will not succeed in the end. The boat was about to be broken up into pieces and a broken boat is a sunk boat. So before long, it's, it, it's possible that everyone on board the ship would drown. Yes, It was that bad. But why did God do this, though? You might be surprised, but God did this out of his mercy. God is a gracious and compassionate God. He's a good God. And he did not want one of his own people, no matter how bad or how far into his rebellion he had gotten, to succeed in fleeing from his presence. What we see here is an exercise of God's divine chastisement, discipline. God disciplines his children because he loves his children. Hebrews twelve six says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. God allows things in in your lives, or rather brings calamity to your lives at times as a means of discipline. And he does this to remind you that he is your heavenly father and you are his children. He allows things to happen to you to teach you about his character and to remind you of your need to rely solely on him. You know, the Lord sent Nathan to David to tell him a parable and point out David's sin. And what happened? David confessed. And what happened further? David was restored to the Lord. When calamity comes your way, when the Lord sends an unhappy providence To you, it is to teach you something. He wants you to recognize that it is from Him and He wants you to readjust your lives to His will. He wants you to remember who's the boss, who's the Lord, who's your Heavenly Father, and He wants you to live accordingly. You know, we all were really heading down the path to destruction. But the Lord sends something our way to stop us and to get, us, get our attention. So now at this point in the account, we see that Jonah's attention has not been caught yet. He is fast asleep. He's sleeping like a baby in the lower part of the boat and the wind howls and the waves roll and he's sleeping. You find that you really have no power among amid crisis. You have no hope on your own. You realize that you are helpless. In verse five, even the mariners were afraid. Now this is significant because it takes a lot for a seaman A person who grew up on the water to fear the sea. Most of a mariner's life is spent on the sea. I don't know if you've watched any of those reality shows on Discovery. I think one of those is called The Greatest Catch. Where they're out in Alaska and they're fishing for king crabs. And the wind is howling and the rain, ice and snow and sleet is all falling sideways and The ship is rocking and it looks like it's going to sink. The waves, the waves are well overhead and the boat is rocking back and forth. But those fishermen, you notice, they don't show any signs of fear. This is their livelihood. This is their job. They are still out on the deck, fishing. I remember in university going to Catalina Island and just how scared I was on the boat between Long Beach and Catalina. The waves got bigger and bigger and besides being afraid, I got so dizzy and felt like throwing up. But seamen don't do that. (laughs) I come from the desert, by the way, not the sea. Sea Seamen are used to it. So for them to be afraid, the storm had to have been terrible. And that's the point. It was so bad that each man cried out to his God. The pagan nations around Israel were all polytheistic. They, they believed in many gods. Besides having national gods and communal gods, they had their own gods that they and their family could give homage to. Their situation was so bad. That they cried out for supernatural help. They definitely recognized that in this crisis, they had absolutely no power in themselves to change things. And they recognize as something they recognize something bigger than them. You know, all humans, according to Calvin and others, all humans have a sense of deity ingrained in them since they were born. Because all humans were created in God's image. From Romans 1.20, amongst other places in the Bible, it is clear that all people know God in the sense that they know that he exists. Even atheists. But only those whom God has chosen know God in a personal, intimate way, which can only happen through Jesus Christ. But these men knew that there was a God and it is man's natural tendency to think of God and to pray, especially when extreme circumstances come. The seamen's crying out to their false gods was also accompanied by their actions. They threw cargo overboard to lighten the load. Their cargo was their livelihood. This is what they live by. But at this point, they are going to do anything and everything they can to save their lives. Yet Jonah, God's prophet, what is he doing? Fast asleep in the bottom of the ship. He was headed as far away as he could from God And he was down as far as possible in the ship to hide. And he's asleep. You know, and this kind of a sleep is not just like after you had a long, hard day at work or in the swimming pool. And you're physically exhausted. No. The Greek translation of this passage suggests that he was fast asleep and snorted like an induced sleep. The same language is used in Genesis 2, where Adam is sleeping while God is performing rib surgery. He is out cold. And if any of you have ever had surgery and gone under full anesthetic, you know what it is like. The doctor asks you to start counting sheep, and when you get to about three or four, you are out cold. Until they wake you up an hour after the surgery was already performed. Now, we are not told why Jonah is sleeping. Perhaps he was tired from his journey, whether physically, or whether emotionally, or whether spiritually. Or this deep sleep could have been a way to try to get farther away from God and his will. You know, when you feel hopeless amid a circumstance that you and your sin put yourselves in, you just want to retreat. You just want to let down your guard and sleep. You don't want to care anymore. You're not as alert to the situation as you once were when you were walking closer to God. When Jesus went out to pray, he warned his disciples to what? To be alert. And not to fall asleep. Jesus also told a parable about ten virgins. Reminding the people to stay alert for soon Jesus will return. But the disciples were caught off guard. And they were sleeping. And they were rebuked. It's so easy to get caught up in yourselves. And what you think you want that Uh, In what you think you want, that you begin to fall asleep spiritually. And in your spiritual slumber, you think and do and say things that do not glorify God. And therefore, you lose your satisfaction in Jesus Christ. And it's easy, brothers and sisters. It is very easy. And when crisis comes... You try to scramble to come up with your own remedies, but you can't do anything about it. You're truly helpless. You know, it's tempting for the church to want to sleep, even if they don't know what they are doing. So many churches have begun to give in to this current to current popular ideas. They have begun to exchange a worship style that was once focused on glorifying God, one that was God-centered into one that appeals to man's sinful emotions, one that is actually dumbing and numbing rather than spiritually awaking. But the Lord has chosen his church to be a light in the darkness, to be a siren that wakes the world from their slumber. The captain in our story in his panic came to Jonah and he pleaded with him to wake up and call on his God, the God of the Bible. They had learned something about a good God that has compassion on his people as opposed to the gods they worshipped who had no personal relationship with them at all. And they would not and they would only try to appease those gods. The world knows God, because God has revealed himself to the world in his power and his might by natural revelation. The heavens declare God, the psalm says. They know about God's character. The world knows about God's character, and when people go through crisis... Where are they going to look for help? They look to the church. They look to Christians. I don't know if you've noticed that. When your unsaved relative is going through something horrible in their lives, maybe maybe a divorce or something like that, who are they going to call? They're going to call you, the Christian. Please pray for me. Do you have any solutions? Will you be ready when your relative or your coworker calls you up or knocks on your door asking for help? You know, there's a story in the book of Acts 27 about a storm. Like Jonah, the apostle Paul set out to sea. But unlike Jonah, Paul set out to Rome and obedience to God's call. And like Jonah's journey, there was also a tempest at sea. But rather than go to sleep in the lowest parts of the ship, Paul encourages those on board with him to take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. Paul believed and trusted God at his word. Paul did not try to run from God's word, but he believed it. This should be your attitude. An attitude of faith that what God says is true and trustworthy. But as I always say, there is one greater. There is one greater than Paul. Our prophet and apostle, the Lord Jesus and Savior Jesus Christ, He was also asleep in a boat. And his own disciples panicked and came and woke Jesus up because the storm was raging on the Sea of Galilee. And what did Jesus do? He got up and immediately rebuked the storm. And the wind and the waves ceased on his very word. Even the wind and the waves obey him. He is God. He is in complete control. Jesus sent out the great wind on the sea. Jesus caused that mighty tempest for Jonah. And Jesus stopped the mighty tempest on the Sea of Galilee. God is in control. Jesus is in control. You have frustrations, you have worries, you have struggles. And you know, those are going to uh, be intensified. I urge you, church, look to Jesus. Cry out to Jesus. He knows what he's doing. He is in complete control of every circumstance whether it's an unhappy providence, whether it's a happy providence, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that even though it is our propensity to want to run away from you because we mess up, We gave in to our temptation. You, by your grace, throw things in our way to get our attention and call us back to you. That is amazing grace. That is grace that is greater than all of our sin. Help us, Lord, to keep looking to Jesus the one who stood in our place, the one who took our punishment, that we might have full blessing in, in him because of him. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.